If today, on this very moment, your existence ceases, without a trace, knowledge of, and inseparably, without consent, what would be left? Will it be sadness? To be left by, and to leave the ones you love behind, it is humane to be. Or will it be anger, as your life unjustly reaped by whoever you deem as God, it is also humane to be. And how about those people around you, both those who stood there as a mere crowd, or those who you are acquainted with? What feeling will be bestowed upon them? What words will their tongue sound in memory? Perhaps you will be praised as a human who lived your life as how one should be. Or instead, your name will forever be intertwined with curses. <laughs> Frankly, what good will it bring to think of the already occurred? Your existence has become not. Whatever your lives were could no longer be altered. Thus, it is futile, good or evil, doesn't matter. We are no longer who we once were. <sighs> because life is one continuous marathon, one that ends with a predetermined finish line. Sure, one is able to pave thousands and thousands of unique roads, fulfilling themselves with their dumb old subjective significance. Yet in vain, they all go back to the same final road at the time of their demise. Every human life is under the bondage of another's arrogance. Whoever we are, and whatever we do, whatever we have become, are all molded by another's desire, shaped by what they want to believe over our lives. Under that conceit, what is deemed unfitting of an individual will immediately be trashed. And to replace what has been emptied, they manufacture whatever fact they perceive as correct. That is why when people say, you will continue to live within our hearts. I can only find that funny. They're lies, man. Lies which are merely used to calm the hearts of those whose lies are near its end. They're forcing that person to nod in acceptance, embracing their death whole. Maybe that's kindness. Even if it is, a lie forever remains as one. As we die, so will our existence cease. Hi, welcome back. 
as usual, I suggest you to relax. Go grab yourself a drink or something and sit back. I'm just going to ramble again as always. The passage I just read was from a story I wrote. It is one of the earliest works I have, so maybe it's not that good. And of course it's the meme of when you kill people they die kind of thing. And as we die, so will our existences like Captain Obvious. Yeah, although I don't think the writing's all that good, I still like the message that it has. Yeah, so let's get to it. You know, death has always been an interesting topic for me. It sounds edgy and all, but I really do find it amusing. As thinking about it just means that I'm thinking about another inevitable part of a human's life. Put it that way, don't everyone do the same thing anyway. One of the aspects of death that I've thought about, as the title of this video suggests, is about perspectives and identity. I'm not really sure about when the question popped up in my mind exactly, but I do remember asking myself when I was at my school's library. I think I was around the senior year of my middle school when I grabbed a random book about someone's autobiography. Maybe it was someone famous, but uh, I don't think it's that important because I don't really remember who specifically. Well, it must be someone famous, you know. There's an autobiography of this person. Uh, but what I do remember exactly is the fact that I asked myself as I skimmed through the book. Who wrote this? Whose perspective legitimized this autobiography? A record worth a life's journey. And at the same time, I wondered about achieving fame and imagine myself writing my own autobiography. Or maybe have someone interview me and let them testify in book form. Leaving a legacy for the world to remember me for sounds quite nice. I think everyone wants some sort of a memorial for everyone to remember them by. But as I thought about it further, there's not really much use for it other than being a collection of chronologically ordered memories. Let's use an example to demonstrate what I've stated. Say we have a family consisting of the usual father, mother, and a single son. This particular family has had a great relationship so far with each other, a perfect and beautiful marriage with time well spent on their child. Maybe the father is the breadwinner of the house, and therefore the son has a stronger bond with his mother at this point of time. But other than that, nothing significant enough to alter the harmony between the three. When we evaluate the current status of this family, the father sees that he has a beautiful wife who he loves, and a son who he plays with when he goes home, and maybe if he has a day off while the mother sees that she has a loving husband who she equally loves and a son who she spends most of her time on. The son 
although is more comfortable with the mother, loves his father just the same. Okay, that's the first step to our example. Now, how about if I disrupt the variables a little bit? Let's say that after one year passes by, the father was caught in an affair. The father thinks that it is justified because maybe he was not a devout of any religion or beliefs or principles that demands him to remain with a single partner. The mother, though, is, and thinks that this will be the end of the marriage. The son, clueless, is overwhelmed with sadness and his lack of understanding of what is going on. In this second step of the example, look at how a single memory can be interpreted so differently when it goes through the perspective of three different people. The upbringing and the foundation of a human being that has given themselves different outcomes to the same stimulus. This simple example shows the complications of perspectives. The father thinks he is justified, the mother felt cheated, and the son understandably ignorant. Yeah, this might seem obvious now that I've pointed it out, but uh, differences in perspectives goes more than that. Now let's say there are third parties who may testify to the life experiences of the family we just used as an example. It can be anyone, but let's say it's the friends of the son. Okay, calling the son, the son is starting to annoy me. So let's say that he's, uh, I don't know, Chester. Okay, so Chester has two school friends. One named Jack, uh, a school friend he made before the age of 10, who knew him until the age of 10. Yet sadly, he has to move away abroad due to his own family circumstance or something. And therefore, he must cut communication from Chester due to understandable difficulties. Chester's second friend, let's name him Brian, is a friend he just made. He is therefore exposed to the news that Chester's family is under a turmoil. But Brian doesn't know anything about Chester prior to this. When we evaluate what is going on at this point, we now notice that there are more different perspectives out there and how this can correlate to the idea of identity. There's Jack, who thinks that Chester is doing just fine and dandy with his family, and on the other hand, Brian, who knows that Chester is not that happy with how things are. After all of these examples I did, I dare say that this chain of perspectives is still on the small side of the scale. When we think about the people we have met on different occasions, both in time and place, and at what state we appear to be in front of that person, how many different perspectives of us exist within the mind of others? There's also the fact that perhaps the enjoyment of the experience we live out with a certain other may also alter our identity inside that person's mind. And, well, it's a confusing subject. I understand that was a morbid example I just used. But I do believe that it does the job at showing that, more times than not, 
we do not see the full picture not because we don't want to, but because we can't. And more times than not, our judgment comes from a small piece of information we nibble off from the entire cheese wheel. Now, going back to the case of autobiographies, what the hell is that for then? Because I think the same rules apply even when you're reading an autobiography, or any book in that matter. Even if there's objectivity in what experiences have happened in the life of whoever the autobiography book is referring to, the readers of that book will still probably be biased, inclined towards the experiences or the parts of the person that he or she prefers. You might like Steve Jobs because he created Apple or the iPhone. I, on the other hand, think that he is admirable for having that many turtlenecks. What the hell is objective anyway? I think you understand where I'm going with this. So, um, what's wrong about existing multiple perspectives? And why have I worded this script so negatively upon multiple perspectives? Do I have a problem with their existence? Eh, of course not. It's pretty good if you think about it, right? Multiple perspectives allow individuals to focus on the things they deem important. And focus usually means more effective productivity. I think multiple perspectives is a way for humanity to improve. It's just that I imagine myself lying down on my deathbed after living a normal expectancy of 70 years old. The thought I have while I imagine myself there was, man, I probably have met a lot of people in different parts of my life, living even an average life. Now I'm surrounded by people I care about, although I couldn't imagine that many. <laughs> they will be comforting me as my consciousness fade away, saying, we'll always remember you, or something along that line. Yet the last thought before the imaginary me die will probably be, which one? Which part of me will you remember? Out of all the versions and impressions I gave to the different people I've met throughout 70 years, which part of me will be remembered by each and every single one of you? And finally, which one will be the real me? Who the fuck am I? What the hell is identity anyway? I think that's what multiple perspectives does towards the idea of identity. It blurs what can be deemed as objective, because existing differences does not always equate to false. It just means that different people have been exposed to different versions of you that was altered not because you want it to be, but because of a certain context. So, what can we take away from this? In all of this complexity, not much. The dying and imaginary me would probably say, why bother? 
I mean, he doesn't have enough time left in the world to care about this anyway. And maybe that's what we should do too. In the end, this might be useless. But I think it's just interesting that if you lay things out like this, differences in perspectives can only be, well, obvious. And I guess that's what we can learn from this. In conclusion, I think it shows how obvious it is that understanding might not come all that easily. Therefore, understanding should not be an expected right. Because our arrogance is often subconscious. And empathy is nothing but a mere show of effort. And I think that's what should be advocated. That's what multiple perspectives have taught me. And that's what questioning about identity have shown me. Then maybe keeping up a consistent image or identity of yourself wouldn't be such a problem. Because we have accepted the fact that different portions of every people are scattered around. But yeah, what do I know? <laughs>